Okay, so hello, Gunner. Hello, everybody. So typically every year we always do a, a, a summit pregame special uh, with Dan Walsh. We didn't get a chance to do it this year, and the summit gods punished us with a pandemic. And uh, in order to atone for our sins, we have uh, Dan Walsh on the show to tell us what he talked about at the summit and uh, what he's been working on this year. So, hey, Dan, how you doing? Good, good, good to be on your show. I'd, uh reached out to you. I've enjoyed the uh, pandemic uh, podcast you've been putting out. So it's been very enjoyable to listen to um, the way you guys are dealing with this world. <laughs> yeah. And well, and also it's like, uh, what else are we going to do? You know, right. of like, you know, we, we were doing like one episode a month, whether we, we needed to or not. And just because we're traveling or busy or things like that. And, and it wound up that uh, with us not traveling, that allowed us to be able to do this more regularly. So it's been uh, great, and we've been getting a lot of positive feedback. So thanks, thanks for the feedback, Dan. So, yeah. Um, yeah so it's like uh, you know, the, I'm sure the first thing that people are thinking about is it uh, what, what's the uh, coloring book this year? What's what's the deal with the coloring book? Is it is that on? Is it next year? What's what's up with that? Well, we we had uh, I, the theme of my color, uh, my idea of this year could be made into a coloring book, but the uh, cancel cancellation of uh, um, the summit or the moving the summit to virtual basically made uh, held off the coloring book for a year. But my my mm-hmm. theme this year was around uh, the story of uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so basically, the, the the idea is that uh, um, when I look at container security um, over the last few years, that uh, I realized that um, users users of, of systems very rarely turn up security on the system, right? They, um, there's usually two things, either the application works or they start disabling stuff. So, you know, they turn off right. firewall. Until it works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. They keep on turning things off until uh, the application works. Cause they're, you know, and, and that's somewhat understandable because the, the, the job, the, the goal of a sysadmin or a uh, user of a computer system is to get the application work, uh, to work. But because of this activity, I always, you know, I said, you know, how can I, um, how can we get system, get to the point where they don't have to turn off uh, security? And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you look at uh, the the gamut of security, um, you know, there's either I make the th- the system too secure and therefore people can't get jobs done, and I call that the Papa Bear. You know, so everything's mm-hmm. too hard, and mm-hmm. then or too hard or whatever. And then the other way you could go is, you know, make everything work all the time and, you know, just turn off all the security and, you know, move towards you know, the mama bear world, which is, you know, just everything's too soft. Um, and that, at that point, it's like, wh- you know, what is the purpose here? What is the, um, you know, if I, you know, my goal here is to make systems more secure. If I turn off all the security so that everything, you know, constantly always works, then I really haven't helped out the users at all. So the, the middle ground is, is you know, sometimes the baby, is, is the baby bear or, or the Goldilocks. And so that's where Goldilocks always picks things, right, sort of square in the middle of where it's, you know, it's pretty secure, but it's not as secure as I would like it to be. But in general, the most applications work in that environment. And so that it, when we look at containers um, and you look at, you know, all the different ways that we secure containers on a system, 
we could make, you know, they're always in the Goldilocks moment, right? They're always in that middle ground. It's, you know, we're not doing everything as tightly as, as we potentially could. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, so the, the whole theme of Goldilocks and the three bears comes down to me talking about how can I take, um, containers and, and move the container, moving the Goldilocks towards Papa Bear, right? Move, move everybody towards more security without users having to do that on their own and, or, you know, them turning all the security off, right? Seven, four, zero. Right. Uh, um, so that's, that's sort of what I, and, and uh, my goal and the goal I've given my team is to think about different ways that we could go about doing that in the different areas of, of security. Um, so, uh, what I'd like to talk about quickly is uh, when you look at containers, um, we look at there's really three different entities that have influence into running a container. So you have mm-hmm. the um, you have the user who's launching the container or something like Kubernetes that's sort of describing, but it really it comes down to some user has basically said, I want to run this container, and they put in their own commands to it. But as a, as a stock, in the beginning of this talk, we, you know, I said that users either run the container or they turn off security in the container. Um, and those are really the two options. So the other two entities that run contain have influence in running containers is the developer of the image, right? The developer of the application. Um, so we usually say these are OCI images sitting at a, a container registry or Docker images sitting at a container registry. And then you have the container engine. Um, so the container engine, you know, something like Podman or Cryo or Builder or Docker is a, is a tool that basically takes input from the user, uses its hard-coded constants, and then pulls down an image that also has some influence on how to run the container and combines all three influences into how the container is going to be run on the system. So if we just looked at, you know, the, the thing I did, we did last couple of years was to look at that container engine. And, you know, I, I always had a problem with the Docker daemon because it was, you know, this big daemon running as root on the system. And you ended up with what I call the least common denominator of security. So if you're building images, playing with containers, running containers in production, every, everybody went through the one way of running containers. And we ended up with, you know, all those different use cases ended up being combined together into a fairly loose level of security. Um, mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do is we wanted to rip that apart and look at each individual tool, and then I could run each individual tool with more security. So we took what was the Docker daemon, and we broke it into building containers. So we experimented with Builder as being a tool for building containers uh, with as, as much security as possible, but then also you know, getting rid of the daemon, so we're just using fork exec processes to create containers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had running containers in Product, uh, running containers just to play and build them, play and around with containers. That's where Podman, which you know, mm-hmm. mimics the Docker CLI. Um, and by breaking those two tools out, we actually figured out that we could actually run them rootless on the system. And so that we ended up with uh, individual tools that could um, run with much better security than and do most of what you do with the Docker daemon without even having to be root in the system. Then the third tool that we came out with is, is Cryo, which is what I call con- running containers in production. So when you get to the point of, say, a Kubernetes-type environment, you need a daemon that's just going to run containers in production. But that Cryo can actually run containers much more securely because people aren't playing with containers on it. They're not experimenting. They're not building mm-hmm. container images on it. So, so by splitting apart the container 
engine into multiple different tools, we started to get to the point where we could run each one of the tools with much tighter security and different use cases than everybody running with a single container image. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what we did, did last year. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. We got a coloring book for that. Yeah, you did. You got a coloring book. That was the uh, container commandos. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so, but basically, yeah, that, so that's what we did last year, right? To allow us to um, now have, you know, an OpenShift 4, uh, there is no longer a darker daemon. We're running just containers inside of cryo. And then if you want to build, you can use builders to, to build. And now you can do that rootless, or you can actually mm-hmm. run builders inside of containers, inside of cryo. Um, and, and just by mixing and matching, we can get each one of these different environments running well. But mm-hmm. but even with all that, we're still, you know, now we've gotten a little bit closer to Papa Bear, but not as close as I would like to get because all those containers are still running with the same sort of basic security um, environments, right? They're running with the same default list of capabilities, which are uh, a way of breaking apart the power of root. They're running with the same seccom filters. They're running with the same SE Linux labels. They're running, you know, so they're all running, you know, all the containers are still running sort of, you know, just at Goldilocks. And mm-hmm. so I wanted, so I, I began to examine over the last, you know, uh, say last year, um, you know, how could we allow the the person developing the image to basically embed some information in the image in such a way that the container engines could take advantage of it. So mm-hmm. I, as a developer of an image, I might know which Linux capabilities I need, or could I, as a developer, figure out which syscalls my container needs to run in the system, or could I figure out which special SE Linux labels I need to run for my container. Um, and so what we've done is we're, we've, you know, built some tooling to be able to allow developers to embed, um, say, seccomp rules inside of their container or to embed uh, the list of capabilities inside of their container image and then have the container engines look at the containers that they're running and say, oh, this container can run more securely than I run by default um, and then have it take advantage of it. So that's that's the basic idea is now that the, you know, we can embed information in the container image to allow the container engines to run you know, with less loose security of policy. So to run closer to pop a bit. And that's mm-hmm. really, you know, so that was, that's sort of my theme for this year is talking about that. Uh, but one interesting tool we built is a, um, so the, the hard thing here is, you know, okay, I tell a developer, yeah, figure out which syscalls your container is going to make. And, uh, um, you know, there's, there's nobody in the world that can figure that out, right? It's not, uh, I don't care if you're Linus Tavalis, it's, you know, you, 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 you it's very difficult to figure out which syscalls the container image is going to make. Um, but there's a new uh, there's a new feature in the Linux kernel nowadays called BPF, Berkeley mm-hmm. Packet Filter, which allows you to uh, instrument the kernel to uh, uh, get reports out of it. And what you can mm-hmm. do is you can actually tell the kernel to watch uh, a group of processes on a system and say, you know, what's this call so you, uh, these processes using, which, you know, and, and we could record them to a file. So we had, last summer, we had a, uh, um, a Google Summer of Cl- um, Code student come in, and we said we wanted him to experiment with building us a, a, um, a BPF filter to watch, you know, all the syscalls that a container makes. And so we worked with him all summer, and we ended up creating a new tool called OCI SecComp BPF hook. And, mm-hmm. and with 
with this tool, this, this new executable on the system, we can actually instrument containers to use that hook. Um, so the, uh, it, I don't want to get too detailed into what's going on, but when you start a container, the container engines have these things called hooks, the little programs that they'll execute to sort of monitor what a container is doing. And mm-hmm. so what you can do is you could uh, fire up this hook and it'll watch uh, the container to instrument the kernel with a BPF filter. And then we'll write out over time all the syscalls that a container would run, it would execute. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine you could just hook this up in, say, a Kubernetes environment and run a container even in production for many, many months recording all the syscalls. And once you're confident that, you know, you haven't seen any additional syscalls for a couple of months now um, and you're confident it works well, now you could say, let's put it in enforcing mode. So it's sort of like the old SE Linux permissive mode versus enforcing mode, but now it's for seccomps. So to right. give you an idea of how secure we can get it, um, there's a uh, one of the security companies had a report. It's right now syscalls. We allow about uh, well, well over 300, nearly 400 syscalls uh, for all containers, just because we don't know what the containers are going to do. And this report basically said that they thought that they most containers would run with about 70 syscalls. So imagine going from 300 syscalls down to 70. That's a pretty decent improvement in, in security and so now you could you know, really start to take advantage of parts of the operating system to really you know, further secure your application. And then we, we want to do is, of course, embed that seccomp filter inside of the image. So, you know, again, Cryo or Podman would download an image and would see that syscall table, see if it's a subset of uh, what it was going to run by default. If it is, then it could securely run with much less syscalls or much less capabilities and stuff. So that's, that was the basic, that's my basic theme. And, uh, mm-hmm. We could we could go on for hours, but I think most <laughs> most of you, um, you could see uh, there's a couple of YouTube videos of of me giving the talk and giving some demonstrations and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, and uh, was it Yurvashi and Sally did a, yeah. a webinar on this too? Yeah, so a couple of uh, uh, the engineers that I've had underneath me for a few years, uh, I had they they put together a presentation for OpenShift Commons this year. And uh, um, so that if, you, if you don't want to listen to a heavy Boston accent, it's probably uh, better, to, better to go and uh, see them do it. Um, and, you know, they do a really excellent job. And, and yeah. um, I, I'm sure you, you can put up the uh, video of them giving the talk and it, it mm-hmm. really uh, um, uh, at dgshow.org. You're right. Oh, of course. Thank you for that. Yeah. 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 Plug. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and that's, the, the thing that's interesting there is it what you do all this development on the Fedora side, it makes its way to RHEL, and then it makes its way to OpenShift. Is it is how how far away is all this thinking from say like OpenShift? Yeah, so in, in our team, we obviously work on um, all areas. Of, you know, my team works on all areas of containers, and um, so we you know we have the tools, the Podman, the Builder, and then Cryo, and Cryo is the one for. OpenShift, OpenShift uses, but with our um, sort of our development ideas, we sort of percolate them inside of uh, the lower level tools like Podman mm-hmm. and, and Builder, and and you know that's where we're doing our experimentation and saying, you know, is this a good idea? How how would we do this? How would we build it? Um, and then once we get to the point that you know it looks like it's a good idea, um, then we you know basically add the patches to Cryo, and you know then. It, bubbles up into OpenShift. So usually, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's, if you think about it, that's the way 
Fedora into RHEL and, and stuff works, but at the uh, lower levels, you know, we're doing it with container engines. So usually it's it's within six months of us doing something in, in some of the low-level tools. Um, yeah. It ends up showing up in, in the higher-level tools. Um, so that's some of the stuff we've been working on anyways. So. Okay. And what, what about like container portability? You know, it's like people will go back and forth and say, oh, you know, containers, they can go on any container host and everything. But th- if, if you start filtering by capabilities, do, do all the capabilities line up or assumption wise or, or how does that so, work? So what, again, with the, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the, yeah, yeah. Containers capabilities are the Linux concept, so the capabilities mm-hmm. are the same across all Linux platforms, and all of our tools mm-hmm. work on all the different distributions. As a matter of fact, I think just today uh, um, Podman made it into the unstable branch of Debian. Um, mm. But the uh, uh, so yeah, the, these things would work across all the platforms. It's not mm-hmm. nothing is specific to any platform, and and frankly, none of this. You know, we're not modifying anything that would make these containers not be able to run on top of Docker, for instance. Um, okay. It's just that if you run them on top of our platforms, we will take advantage of this additional information. So uh, we're right. very cognizant. We'd never want to break um, any any portability of the applications. It's just uh, think of these as more breadcrumbs that we're putting into the container image to say, hey, if, if you understand this breadcrumb, then you could, you know, you know, you're getting information from the developer that tells you that, you know, hey, my container will run with, uh, you know, in, in this tighter security mode, uh, but right. you know, by default, if you ran it with Docker, it just run with the the Goldilocks version of security that the Mama you know, Bear, right? Yeah, well, closer to Mama Bear, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay, all right. So, and then what, you know, we talk about you know using Podman and all that, um, and then there's OpenShift, and there's I'm sure there's a whole continuum of doing containers on RHEL and containers on OpenShift. Are there uh, like use cases for like unorchestrated containers, like just running on top of RHEL? Yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting uh, concept. I mean, if you talk to, um, if you, you know, traditionally RHEL has used, been used for running services and then OpenShift has been used for sort of orchestrated services, right? So you're, you're mm-hmm. taking 15 or 20 machines and joining them together and running your workloads and then moving back and forth. Um, but there's still a huge market, you know, I mean, RHEL is still a huge market for running just single services or you know, just a, a group of services on a system. And, and they don't necessarily need to be orchestrated together. So mm-hmm. our view of the world is, is to look at, both both ends of the spectrum. Um, so one of the things we've been doing with Pod, you know, Podman is our tool for running individual containers on a uh, on a you know a rel system, um, and as I said, Cryo is for running an OpenShift. So, but we've been looking at certain use cases. Um, so we get down to the say edge servers. That that seems to be the hot hot new topic in the uh, in the universe now. Is you know I need to have my edge servers, and, and mm-hmm. my definition of uh, you know. There's a whole gamut of edge servers, but I'm really talking about sort of what I call the fire edge. So mm-hmm. if you can imagine a, a computer system sitting out on a uh, on a oil oil rig, or even mm-hmm. a, a, a computer system in a car, or in a tank, or a computer system running at a windmill, these these things have you know spotty networking connectivity. Um, mm-hmm. They have uh, limited access. I mean, we've even talked to certain companies about you know. 
sort of uh, emergency vehicles and things. You know, how, how can we have a container environment running in these environments? Um, and what the, usually what operating systems done in these type of environments in the past is they just run an application, standard rel type environment and run an application. Um, mm-hmm. But imagine if you could uh, move to a container environment where you might have Podman running the service on the system. Well, then people now you're running your service for a, a certain amount of time, and you want to be able to update that service. So we then mm-hmm. with Podman is really really are integrating heavily Podman into System D, into um, some of the advanced System D features. And what we want to do is we want to have um, a service. So you run your sort of traditional container environment, run two or three containers, you get it up and running properly, and now you mm-hmm. can tell. You know, using you know similar commands that you've been running over the years. Now you can tell Podman to generate a system D unit file based on that service. Mm. But that okay. unit file can also where we embedded that unit file is the smartness, smart, the intelligence into the unit file and the services to actually not only start and stop the service via system D, but also update it automatically. So okay. we're built we're building tooling to allow you to take a service that's built in a container. You run it on top of a rel system, and then periodically, you know, it will wake up and using a system D timer, and will basically go back to the registry, container mm-hmm. registry, and see if there's an updated version of the application. So if mm-hmm. someone someone pushes out, uh, you know, version one dot one of your application, and what the tooling will do is it'll use Podman to go back to the registry, download the updated image in the background, and then at some point will restart the service and when it restarts the service it'll destroy the previous container and create a new container and now your system's automatically updated so mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. sort of what we're doing with podman but you can imagine the other end of the spectrum is could we do that with the entire operating system and that's you know sort of what the, 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 in my opinion the future is going to be we're going to have a core os type operating system and now you mm-hmm. could have the entire operating system sitting in, in on this fire edge server and slowly downloading an updated version so say you're going from 8.2 to 8.3 and in the background the operating system is being updated and it continues to run your individual podman service services mm-hmm. on the box and Eventually, the new operating system comes in, and the machine automatically reboots into the new operating system. And maybe the container downloads a new version of the container, and you come back up, and your machine is instantly updated with no humans ever touching it. And mm-hmm. with the beauty of CoreOS is, is, you know, after it reboots, if something goes wrong, it can actually reboot back into the previous state and get the container back, you know, running in the previous state. So those are those are things that we, you know, experimenting with updates. Um, but at the same time, we're also looking at on the OpenShift side, you know, it would be kind of cool to have Kubernetes be a communications path out to these nodes. So mm-hmm. I think over time, Kubernetes will grow and become lean enough to be able to handle these images. But in the time being, over the next few years, I think Podman is going to have a use case for running containers on on rel boxes, you know, just like we've traditionally ran services, except now they'll be running in the form of containers and it totally integrated into system D and then as people get comfortable and we get better at, at, you know, more distributed Kubernetes environments, Kubernetes will eventually grow out to the, ed, the fire edge service. So I think mm-hmm. we'll have both, both going forward. So, and again, yeah, you know, our goal is to bridge the gap, right. To, mm-hmm. to figure out, um, uh, one of the cool features that a lot of people are starting to play with, with Podman is to, um, Podman has the ability to generate Kubernetes, uh, 
objects. So mm-hmm. you can create with Podman, you create your container workflow and your pod workflow. And, you know, so sort of traditionally what people played with, with Docker over the last few years, and they get to a certain point and they're comfortable. And now we say, okay, now make that run in Kubernetes. And that, that becomes a whole new learning curve. Um, and so what Podman we have is a command called Podman Generate Kube, and it'll take your pods and your containers that are running locally and actually generate all the Kubernetes YAMLs and deployments and things like that that you could then use directly into OpenShift and, and really move your containers off of uh, sort of the traditional single node work case into the Kubernetes work case. So we're really looking at how can we make the whole gamut easier with our, you know, with our tooling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And, and yeah, and I, I see that also as a uh, an entry point for people that are like, oh, I'm not quite ready for Kubernetes yet, and I'm a uh, and I'm a hardcore Linux person. This is a way to get started with containers and then grow into Kubernetes whenever you're ready to um, go into more complicated things. So, yeah, exactly. And I, I know too that we could probably talk until the pandemic's over. So I don't, <laughs> you know, and we'll, we'll, but but before I let you go. Um, you did a blog post with uh, a crew of people about SE Linux and MLS with containers and everything. Do you want to give us a, a, a preview of that or of what, what that's all about? Yeah, it's um, – well, I often get – we, we often get asked from, uh, you know, the MLS community and um, about, you know – how, you know, these new tools that are being developed, how can we um, take advantage of those and, and – um, you know, will this, you know, the, the question is always to me is, you can I run this in MLS? And, and frankly, the technology, the SE Linux stuff that we're dealing with is based on the MLS policies, right? The, the, the whole container separation is all based on the, the features that we added years ago back in, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, we added for mm-hmm. uh, the MLS environments. But the, the thing I try to get, the, the paper I put out was talking about a couple of different use cases. And, and one, um, you know, there's, there's a confusion uh, in my mind about, um, you know, MLS being more secure than right. running, running containers and OpenShift. And, and what I try to explain in the paper is that MLS actually is less secure than running mm-hmm. Containers and MC and with you know sort of the way we run them in OpenShift, which is what we call MCS multi-category security, and that mm-hmm. in an MLS environment you could run all of your containers with you know so say you have ten containers running at top secret and you have ten running at secret and um, you know and ten running unclassified, and what what happens in those containers is if, if there's a breakout in any one of those containers, the SE Linux policy, say you had a breakout in your top secret container. Um, well, if all the containers are running as top secret or a group of the containers are top secret, from an SE Linux point of view, those containers now can attack each other. So the, right. the, the one breakout you have can attack, say you have a web server running as top secret and you have a database that has top secret data. And, you might be controlling the way that the two interact through, say, the network. Uh, now it breaks out. It can go in the back door and start attacking the system. And an MCS machine, machine, what we do is we run every single container in an isolated label so that mm-hmm. they, the only way the containers can talk together is, is via a, um, via the network. So now if a container breaks out, even though they both are, have top secret data in it, they can't read each other. They can't go in and look at each other's data because they're in a totally isolated domain. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I try to, you know, again, it's it's difficult to, 
to explain to people who have one world view yeah. um, that, that MLS, you know, that's multi, that's the highest level you can get. And, and really we're using the exact same technologies, right? It's not, it's, it's sort of like a different policy type, but it's really trying to explain that, you know, an open shift in a multi uh, tenant environment, a multi level security environment would use the same controls and isolate your data the same way. Um, uh, and, and so really I would like them to look at this as being a way of running containers. Another yeah. part of the paper, a second section I covered was on, um, these, uh, a lot of uh, you hear about these cross um, you know, th these tools for basically having input coming in from a network at system high, and then it goes through oh, a filter. Yeah. And cross demand guard. Right, cross demand guards, and, and a lot of those are you know, really really expensive for the government to to build, and they're, they're really really complicated to to control. Um, you know the, the way that information flows and to prove that they. Um, you know, it goes through. So you you spend lots of money hiring experts to come in and, and build that, and you might be using SC Linux for it and stuff. Um, and so a couple of years ago, I showed a demonstration of how you could take advantage of container technology to make it a lot simpler to build these things. And so I cover that in the in the, another section of the paper, saying that you you can build these guards just by creating three different containers on the system, mm -hmm. and then you you, know, you basically leak uh, Unix domain sockets between the containers, and then you use SC Linux to control the flow, so that the you know the flow is all happening in one direction, but all of a sudden, each one of the processes inside of the containers can be isolated from the network. They can you know, take care of network namespace. They can take advantage of PID namespace, so they can't even see the other processes running on the system. Um, but there's really cool technology that these um, you know people wanting to do these type of guard systems um, that are available and easily done with a tool like Podman um, that would really make being able to do guards a lot easier. So try to cover that type, you know, to... Every every so often, I like to throw a bone to the to sort of the the high level security people. Right. That, you know, there is technology that they really should start to look at and play with um, to satisfy some of their needs. Yeah, like the MLS and MCS. Um, maybe an analogy would be like the the you know the prison movie, right? Where um, you know you have you have the prisoners out in the yard, and then you know ten prisoners are out there, and th that's like having one classification level and one of the containers can shiv another container or whatever. Whereas the other model of MCS is that every one of the prisoners is in solitary confinement, right? Right. So is that, is that a good analogy? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a good analogy. And then, you know, maybe the, the gods of the way that they could communicate together. Right. So the, the, it becomes yeah. a, a real control flow that, you know, the kernel can really control the, the communication as opposed to just allowing Oh, you guys are all at the same level, so you can all go in the same room together. And and if one of them is bad, he's gonna right. So yeah, that's a that's a good enough. I might steal that from you. That's I want royalties for the next coloring <laughs> book. Um, that's gonna be a very dark coloring book yes, so, compared yes. to other ones you've done. But yes. uh, I won't yeah, be doing like a Shawshank Redemption uh, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. All right. Well, this was awesome, Dan. I I, I love. Uh, I, I feel smarter. I want to. I want to do some multi. Uh, I want to. I want to do a trusted guard with containers now. It's, this is going to be awesome. Um, well, I didn't know what else I was going to do during the pandemic. So uh, I know what what you're going to do for uh during the pandemic is is open your web browser um, and go to your homepage. And and what you know for everybody else for them to set their homepage, what what should they set it to? 
Oh, that's, that's, you know, I thought everybody had it at this point, but it's uh, dgshow.org. As Dave mm-hmm. and his, Dave, <laughs> D is in Dave and G is a gunner, uh, show.org. Yeah, very good, very good. Awesome. So thank you, Dan. I really appreciate the time and I uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. Stay safe out there and we'll catch you all next time. Great.